The book of Philippians actually doesn't start in the book of Philippians. I know it's nestled there with Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians, but it actually starts somewhere else. You see, Philippians is a letter. And when you deal with a letter, you're talking about somebody who sat down to, to pen these words and they were written to a certain group of people. And when I study these things, I like to know who were these people that were the recipients of this letter. And so in order for us to start this study, I actually want us to go where the story began. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we find that Paul is on a missionary journey, his second one, matter of fact. And on this journey, he's got a buddy named Silas, and they are traveling across Europe planting churches. They get to a place called Lystra, and that's where we meet one of the first people that you need to know in the book of Philippians. Look at it in verse 1 and 2. Paul went first to Derb and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek, and Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. Here we have Paul getting there, and he finds out there's this disciple of Jesus who has a great reputation. He's, he's well spoken of, and Paul does this. He says, you know what, Timothy? I want you to join us. I want you to come on this journey, planning churches, telling people across Europe about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And Timothy says, I'm in. So these three fellows and Luke and some others go with Paul, and they make their way to a city called Philippi. And when they get to Philippi, they begin to meet some folks. Now, if you're doing the math, you know that Philippians would be the folks of Philippi. And that's where this thing gets interesting. Now, this is how Paul would do it. Paul would get to a city. He typically would wait till Sabbath, the Jewish holy day. He would go to the synagogue and he would preach the gospel there. Well, this time, apparently there was no synagogue or not much of one. And so he goes outside the city gates to a place of prayer and he finds a women's group. And there he finds a woman named Lydia. Listen to these words about her. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. And as she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She accepted it. She heard this gospel message. She's so convinced of it. She says, you know what, Paul? I want you to come to my house. I want you to eat with me. And Paul and his fellows join them. Now, Paul's going to be in Philippi for a little bit, and he's going to meet some other people. One person he meets is a slave girl. This slave girl is possessed by a demon spirit, and this demon spirit allows her to tell the future or to give omens to people. Listen to the description of her in verse 16. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. And she earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. You can see that this girl would have been incredibly valuable to her masters because people would come and pay good money to hear the future. The problem was, is this slave girl followed Paul and Silas and Timothy around to the point that Paul had had enough. One day he finally turns around, looks at this slave girl and casts the demon out. But when he cast the demon out, he also cast her ability to tell the future out, which means he also cast out her owner's ability to make money. 
The people weren't happy. Those owners weren't happy. They uh, incited a mob and, and, and started accusing Paul and Silas and Paul's group of teaching things that were not in accordance with Rome. And so they beat Paul and Silas and they put him in jail and they shackled their hands and their feet. And then that's when the story gets good here in Philippi. Take a look at it as we continue to read in verse 25, what happens to Paul and Silas while they're in jail. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and other prisoners were listening and suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner flew off. Can you imagine that? Here they are, it's midnight. Paul and Silas, they're not worried. They're not overcome by their circumstances. They're praying. They're singing songs to God. And the other prisoners are in awe. They're listening. And then all of a sudden an earthquake happens and it shakes the foundations and the doors fall off and the chains are broken. And you can imagine how everybody is probably shocked. Then, verse 27, the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here! The jailer called for the lights and ran to, to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He can't believe his eyes. He just knew they were all going to leave. And instead of being tortured by Roman officials, he decided his best course of action was to take his own life. But Paul and Silas said, we've gone nowhere. You're okay. And then look at what happens next. They brought them out and they asked, sirs, what can we do to be saved? This jailer wanted to know, what does it take to have this confidence and this joy that you've been singing about, that you wouldn't run? What does it take to have that? In verse 31, Paul and Silas replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And the story goes on that sure enough, they go to that jailer's home and they baptize his family. And then before they leave Philippi, they go one more time to Lydia's house. So in case you're keeping track, we picked up Timothy along the way. We met Lydia. We met a slave girl who was set free by a demon spirit. There were prisoners hearing about the joy of Paul. There was a jailer whose life was changed. Now, with all of that in mind, those are the very people Paul is writing this letter of the Philippians to. That's who he's writing to. These are the people that I think he has on his mind. Matter of fact, I want to read a little bit of Philippians to you. And I want you to have that jailer in mind. I want you to have that, that slave girl who's been set free. Lydia, who heard about the gospel at that prayer group. Listen to these words. Verse 1 of Philippians chapter 1. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, the guy I picked up at Lystra. Slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. I'm writing to you guys. Here's a just Russell's interpretation. I wonder if one of those elders is the jailer. I wonder if one of the deacons is one of those prisoners. I don't know. I know for sure, though, they had to be there waiting to hear from Paul. And then he says this. 
Verse three, every time I think of you, jailer, every time I think of you, Lydia, every time I think of you, slave girl, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make pray, I make requests for all of you with joy. There's our word. He was happy for these folks. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And Paul knows the time they first heard it because he was there. He goes on and says, And I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about you, for you have a special place in my heart, and I bet he does. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and how I long for you with tender compassion in Christ Jesus. I love you, jailer. I love you, slave girl that was set free. I want to see you again. And then he says this. I pray that your love will overflow more and more, that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. As we read this, it doesn't take long to see Paul is a joyful man, and this thing's come full circle. He's actually in prison again, and he's writing, another, he's writing this letter to these people, and he met most of them in prison the first time. But his joy is still there, and as we read this letter, we want that joy to grow in us. And so over the next few minutes, Ryan's going to walk us through joy that we can have and the ways that we can have it Learn from this letter. And Ross is going to help us apply this as we think about the faithful partners that we've served alongside in the truth of the gospel. We're excited about Philippians. I hope you are as well. It is the one thing that every single one of us have in common. We all want to be happy. Now that doesn't mean that we all are happy. I know plenty of sad and unhappy people, but I've never met anyone. I've never met someone that said, I want to be sad. I want to be unhappy. I want to be miserable. I've never had that interaction. We all desire happiness. And our scripture this morning is going to show us, it's going to teach us how to be happy. Now, if it's okay with you, I want to change the word happy to the word joy. It's just a better word. Joy is really the Christian word for happy. Joy is deeper. Joy is better. Joy is happiness that can't be taken from us. Joy is happiness that lasts forever. We all want lives that are full of laughter and full of joy. And Paul is so serious about joy in this letter to the Philippians that he's going to use it about 16 times in four chapters. So here are five ways, five ways that you can live with joy straight from our passage. They're all going to start with the letter C. So maybe pull something out and jot them down. Maybe add them to the note section of your phone. Five ways of living with joy in your life And we're going to have to move quickly because, quite frankly, Russell Johnson took way too long with his part of this sermon. I'm only kidding, sort of. 
The first C of living with joy is to connect with Jesus. Connect with Jesus. In John chapter 15, Jesus gives his disciples an illustration. He tells them, I am divine and you are the branches. He is pleading with them for them to stay connected to him. Jesus says, apart from me, disconnected from me, you can do nothing. He doesn't say you can do some things. He doesn't say, oh, you'll have your good days and your bad days. He say, if you are disconnected from me, you can do, you can accomplish nothing. And then he says, why am I, why am I telling you all this in John 15 verse 11? Why am I telling you to stay connected to me? Because I want you to be filled with joy. I want you to be so filled with deep soul level joy that it overflows in your life. And the only way you will experience this joy is to stay connected to me. Paul in his letter to the Philippians is tasting and experiencing this joy because he is connected to Jesus in prayer. Let's look at it in verses four and verse nine. Paul writes these words. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. And so let me just ask you a very pointed question this morning. In the last six weeks of no public gatherings, probably with more time on your hands than ever before, has your connection to Jesus in prayer gotten better or has it gotten worse? I want you to think about Paul this morning as he is sitting in a Roman prison. He's chained to a Roman guard with nothing but time on his hands, but he is laboring in prayer for his friends back in Philippi. And he's full of joy as he does it. He hasn't seen these people in 10 years, but they haven't dropped off his prayer list yet. He's sitting in prison. He can't physically do ministry. He can't physically gather with them. He can't physically bake them bread or go visit them in person, but you better believe he is praying for them. This should really hit close to home for us in the situation that we're in. We have more time on our hands right now because of this quarantine than we typically have. We have plenty of time to pray. And I know this because I've talked to many of you. And you've had extra time to work in your yard. You've had extra time to do things around your house. You've had extra time to have dinner around the table with your family. Some of you have watched every single episode of Tiger King. Plenty of time. But many of us are frustrated. Many of us are wallowing around saying things like, I wish I could help my neighbor. I just wish I could get out of this house and physically do something. But I guess all I can do is pray. I guess all there is left to do now is pray. As if prayer is some less than way of loving and caring for our neighbors. And maybe I'm the only one struggling in this way, but I think the best thing we can do is pray. The Bible tells us that when we pray, the creator of the universe leans down to listen. There is great joy for us in being connected to Jesus in prayer, and there is great power for your neighbor as you pray for them by name. 
you want real happiness and real joy, you must be connected to Jesus. The second C of living with joy is to choose to live above circumstances. Choose to live above the circumstances of your life. This one is really quick and easy. Paul is sitting in jail. If he lets the circumstances of his life determine his happiness or his joy, he is going to be sulking, he is going to be pouting, and he is going to be miserable as he rots away inside that Roman prison. I read a quote this week that I think speaks directly to Paul's situation in prison and our situation in the midst of this virus that we find ourselves in. This quote is from some guy whose name I can't pronounce, so I won't even try, but here's the quote. The only way to survive in prison is to abandon all expectations in this world and live for the next. The only way to survive bad circumstances in your life is to abandon any expectation that this world can satisfy you, that this world and the things of this world can make you happy. Clearly, this is why Paul is writing a joy-filled letter to the Philippians. He has chosen to live above his circumstances. You know, another tool that really helps you rise above and live above your circumstances is a sense of humor. I think a sense of humor and the ability to laugh is a great gift from God that allows us to not take ourselves too seriously. Chuck Swindoll is one of my favorite preachers. He's a pastor that believes in the importance of laughter. He believes in having a sense of humor in order to not take life, the circumstances of your life or yourself too seriously. He tells the story to his congregation one Sunday of a lady with a great sense of humor. She was getting a little older in life and she wanted to get married really bad. So she would hang a pair of men's pants on her bedpost every night and pray this prayer. Father in heaven, hear my prayer and grant it if you can. I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man. So Chuck Swindoll tells this story in his church and he gets an email two weeks later from a concerned mother in his congregation. This concerned mother had missed church on this Sunday where he had shared this funny story and so she hadn't heard the story. Here is her concerned email. Dear Pastor Chuck, I'm wondering if I should be worried about something. It has to do with our son. For the last two weeks, I have noticed that before our son turns the light out and goes to sleep at night, he hangs a woman's swimsuit over the foot of his bed. Should I be concerned about this? Pastor Chuck Swindoll says, no, you should not be concerned. And later, Chuck Swindoll was happy to announce that that boy recently got married. So his swimsuit idea must have worked for him. A sense of humor, the ability to laugh, it increases your joy and helps you live above your circumstances. The third C of living with joy is to concentrate on what really matters in life. This is exactly what Paul is praying for the Philippians. Let's look at verse 10. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. The happiest people that I know, 
The people that I know in my life that have a contagious happiness, they have a contagious joy about them, they get this truth. They don't waste their time on things that don't matter. They don't strive after temporary pleasures that come and go. They are living for something greater and they understand the important things in life. They understand what really matters. They know and understand that their relationship with Jesus is the only thing that's gonna last forever. They know and understand that treasures in eternity that will last trillions of years are far better than the treasures here that might last 75 years if you're lucky. They know and understand the blessing of the family that God has given them and they prioritize the relationships with their family over trivial things. They know and understand that life is not all about them. And they are called to love and treat others better than themselves. And they are the happiest, most joy-filled people I know. The fourth C of living with joy is to have confidence in God. Let's look at verse six together. Confidence in the Lord. Paul says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. If you want a jolt of joy this morning, just remind yourself that he is God and you are not God. (laughs) It's really hard trying to be God. It brings worry and stress and fear when I'm trying to control everything, when I'm trying to do everything, when I'm trying to be everything. And Paul says, relax. He says, I'm certain that God is the one that started the work in you. And I'm certain that he will continue working in you until Jesus comes back. We're gonna worship here in a minute. And one of the lyrics in the song says, to fix your eyes on this one truth that God is madly in love with you. And if I've got nothing else in my life that brings happiness, that truth brings a lot of happiness, brings a lot of joy. God loves me. He started a work in me and I'm confident that he's gonna finish what he has started. The last C of living with joy this morning is community. Doing this thing in community. The Christian life was never intended to be lived alone in isolation. The Christian life is intended to be lived out in community with other people. I think we feel this now more than ever, don't we? Community gatherings, community in-person worship has been taken from us, and we now appreciate our church community in a new and fresh way. Paul is no longer in community with the people of Philippi. He's been separated from them physically for years, but you can feel his love and connection to that community. Let's look at our last three verses. Verse five. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God as my witness. God knows how much I love you and how I long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. 
how many of us feel that exact same thing about each other right now. And it is right that we should feel that way. We share something really special. We are partners in this mission of trying to love and serve the people in our radius. We are partners in showing them and telling them about the love of Christ. And it is a bunch of fun to do this thing together. Radius Church, we really are better together as partners in the mission of Jesus Christ. So we want you to hear from Ross Kellis, our pastor of Radius Irmo, as he puts his personal touch and his personal story on the joy that comes from partnering together as a church family. I like the way Ryan said it. He said there's joy in community. And that's right, there's joy in community. And in this text, there's a specific kind of community that's being talked about. It's the community of partnership in a common mission. Yeah, he said, Paul said, I lift up prayers to God for you with such great joy. Because why is he so joyful? Because of our partnership in the gospel and spreading the good news of Jesus. You see, it's the partnership kind of community which gave Paul such joy. Do we have the common partnership, the common community that comes with partnership on a mission? You know, soldiers together, they, they have a partnership and a common cause together, which is to win the war, win the battle. And, and the, the kinds of relationships that form on the battlefield are some of the most intimate relationships on the planet. And Paul and Silas are two soldiers on the front lines themselves in Acts 16. And they're, they've, they've been persecuted and they've, they've suffered for the cause of Christ and they're in jail. And in jail together, what do they do? They, they sing. They sing out. And, and, and why do they sing out? Because they have so much joy. Joy in the partnership that they had together. And joy in the partnership what they had, which they had with God to spread the good news of Jesus. The kind of community that gave them so much joy was this partnership community, a community with a cause, with a mission. Heather and I joined a team or asked to join a team to go to Africa back in 2010. We were partnered together with common people with a common cause. And we went all the way to Tanzania to spread the good news among a people of a different world religion. And while we were there, we were praying together. We were working together. These were the people that we would play together with. Our kids would play together. We were just together, together with them. And the bonds that formed were so tight. I remember being investigated by the Tanzanian government and being afraid my wife and I both, and being exhausted. And all we could do was go to, the, go to the people that we knew best and just fall at their feet. And we went to their house and all we could do was just fall on their living room floor and say, pray for us. Pray for us because we're exhausted and I don't think I can pray for myself right now. And so what happened is they began to pray over us and not only did they pray over us, but they also began to sing. You know, in the song, I knew the song, so I began to sing too, and my wife began to sing too. And we had this moment of joy, which was the fruit of us having been in mission together. And that relationship that forms, those intimate bonds that formed, gave us so much joy. 
Are you missing that joy in your life? Do you have that joy in your life? Heather and I went from Tanzania to Saluda. And in Saluda, we were glad to be there. John Reeves and Chris Seabee, they, they sent us out to Saluda and they said, if you preached under the trees in Africa, you can preach in a barn in Saluda. And so we were happy to preach in a barn. We thought it was a major upgrade. And we go to Saluda and partnered with Ben and Holly and, and Daryl and Pamela and Kenneth and Dana. Then comes Albert, then comes Kevin and Rebecca and Stephen and Kayla and Jeremy and Hannah. And this group of people formed that became this partnership on mission, this community on mission. And bonds began to form as we planned community activities together as we planned public parties together, as we served the poor together, as we prayed for a building together, as God provided all these things. It was just so amazing, the kind of bonds that formed. And it happened that they gave us a, a box when we left Saluda to go plant in Irmo. They gave us a box of letters, letters written to Heather and I of encouragement. And as I sat in my chair and read those letters, I began to cry. I began to cry because of the joy that I had from all the relationships that were formed in a common mission together. I was so full with tears of joy. You ever had tears of joy? It's kind of an oxymoron. Tears are supposed to be sadness, but then you feel joy too, and so it's, 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 it's crying. I don't know if you know what that's like, but it comes from being in partnership with people on a common mission. Are you in partnership in the mission of God? We go from Saluda to Irmo. Irmo is where I am now as the pastor planting a church with people there in Irmo. So exciting. And you know where the, the friendships are forming? They're forming on the front lines. They're forming with people who have a common mission together. They're forming three hours before service on Sunday at the theater when people begin to arrive to take stuff out of the container and pull it and bring it inside, the kids' stuff, the cafe stuff, the audiovisual stuff, and to set that stuff up and then after church to take it down so the people that are building relationships of of you know, and building those intimate bonds and, and, and reaping the fruit of joy in their lives because of those relationships, the place where that's happening is on the front lines in the mission of God. And so the question for you, church, is are you connected to the mission of God? Are you connected to the church? Jesus is connected to his body. And if you are not connected to his body, you might not be connected to him. Are you connected to the mission of God? where we're on the front lines together and rubbing shoulders together and building bonds of love together that give us great joy. I hope you have that. And if you don't, I hope you'll pray for that. Let's pray right now. Father in heaven, we want joy in this book. We wanna read this book, Lord, and let it do its work on us to give us divine joy. Jesus said that I've come that you may have life to the fullness. I've come that you may have joy. And Father, we want to have joy and we know that it happens in partnership and being in community and in many other ways. And so Father, I pray, I pray right now that you would give the listeners joy because it's a divine gift and that they would just keep serving you as you fill them with joy. 
We thank you, almighty God, for these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.